0: from NFL Red Zone. You're listening to WSBU The Buzz.
1: You are listening live to WSBU's coverage from Super Bowl 57 Radio Row in Phoenix, Arizona. Convention Center, site of Super Bowl 57, Radio Row, WSBU 88.3 F, and the Buzz welcomes you. Today, number two here from Phoenix, Arizona. Hello, everybody. Nathan Solomon, Johnny Walker. You're listening to the Director's Cut. Our number one of three here tonight. Schedule will mirror what we had yesterday. So, Director's Cut, right now from six to seven, at eight, from seven to eight. Excuse me. We will have Sype and Smitty. Day number two followed by the wild card from eight to nine so another jam-packed day of coverage we are very much looking forward to it today we are going to be really focusing on the offensive end of both of these two competing teams and of course adding uh, a little bit more here uh, around the nfl and in the sports world as as this day progresses but johnny walker how are you man
0: i'm good thank you for asking nate i really appreciate that um it's good to be here you know Got the first day under our belts. Kind of got our feet wet a little bit. Got comfy. Now we're just in the thick of it. So
1: yesterday, you know, your first ever day on Radio Row. Uh, obviously, a little quiet. You know, not really any, uh, not really any interviews. Not much. Uh, you know, many guests out on the floor. But mm-hmm. uh, just what, what were your uh, your first impressions of of being out here and, and being in this environment?
0: A little bit slow day here on Radio Row, as you mentioned. But then they had the Basically, the media opening night, and we got availability with all the players, all the coaches, and that was insane. It was an insane atmosphere. We were in the arena where the Phoenix Suns played, and the stands were lined with fans, and then kind of in the middle. It was almost like being in the middle of a Roman Coliseum. It was just indescribable.
1: It's so, like I, I kind of thought that, like, you know, we, we walked in, like the entrance and everything, I thought we'd be like right on the floor. Like, there'd maybe be like some sort of like cover over like the, like the floor, like where the sun's playing. And then we'd be right there. But like we were elevated like a ton, like Mm -hmm. we were probably like 20, 30 feet off of the ground because they had like some like structure or whatever, like underneath it where like the players would like go in and then they like walk up and like come out of the stairs on this, on the stage that was like elevated, like even higher, probably like 50 feet in the air. So like we were like, you know, we were like straining our necks to look up, but like it was really cool though. We talked with a bunch of different players, um, you know, I, I recorded like, on, on like, my phone like all the different players like, I, t- I talked to, and I like, mm-hmm. wrote them down. But like, you know, who would you talk to? Um,
0: one guy, probably the, the best answer I got, I talked to Orlando Brown. Um, you know, I asked him, a lot of people look up to NFL players, who do you look up to? And he took it as an opportunity to talk about his late father, Orlando Brown Sr., who he tragically lost as a teenager. But he's talked about him being his inspiration for why he wants to play football and why specifically he wants to be a left
1: tackle in the NFL. So we'll roll that clip right here of Orlando Brown from last night, right now.
0: A lot of people look up to football players. Who's someone that you look up
1: to? Um, Man, uh, you know, he's not here right now with my dad. Uh, you know, to me, that was still is uh, my role model um, of, of success, of being a father, of being a football player, of being a teammate, a friend, a son, all of those different things, man. Um, you know, my dad. That was Orlando Brown Jr., and... You said that was really your favorite, but you kind of go through, you know, maybe maybe some of the other players, you you know, you talked to some of the other podiums you went up to. But really, though, like all the competing players, they were just on the floor. We could kind of go around and and talk to them. So you could literally just like walk up to almost everybody and just like tap on their shoulder and be like, hey, let's just chat for a few minutes. The level
0: of access was insane, especially in a post-COVID world now, because during COVID, an event like this never could have happened. Not in any near capacity like this. And you really can't do something like this on Zoom either.
1: Yeah, like last year. Last year they tried to do it on Zoom, like they had these like daily availabilities on Zoom. Like they didn't have this big event last year, so really like Monday night there just, there just wasn't really anything. Like there was certainly no big event. Like we, we kind of made like we made stuff happen on our own last year. Like we went to games, like a couple of basketball games and everything. But um, there's just a lot more NFL sanctioned events this year, so it, it really just enhances this this total Super Bowl experience. You know, this is the first time since. 2020, you know, because Super Bowl, of course, was right before COVID started. Right, um, Really the first time since Super Bowl 50, 54, I guess it was, uh, where the full, you know, Super Bowl experience is back. So that's been uh, really fun to enjoy that and, and just kind of compare some of the differences from this year to last year as well. But, uh, you know, I also got some, inter- some interviews too. Um, I talked with a bunch of different players throughout, um, throughout the afternoon and night, uh, excuse me. So uh, I, I talked to uh, Dallas Goddard, a tight end for the Eagles. Mm-hmm. James Bradbury, a quarter cornerback uh, for the Eagles. Um, and then on, on the Chiefs' side, I talked to Harrison Bucker. You know, of course, he hit that game-winning kick uh, in the AFC Championship Surprise game. Surprised he didn't have a podium. I, you know, I was a little bit too, but at the same time, it's like, well, I, I feel like it'd be a little ambitious to give, like, a kicker a podium. But, like, I don't
0: know. Because there was a couple players on the Chiefs, like Nick Bolton, Lajarius Sneed, who did not have a lot of people at their podium after the initial yeah. session started, I feel like Harrison Butker would have had a bigger crowd
1: well, than some of those guys. When I got Harrison Butker, it was just me. Like, I, I literally just walked right up it's to him. So who, surprising like, He was, he was by me. himself. He did not have anybody else. So I got him, like, a complete, like, one-on-one. But um, without further ado, though, we'll roll that clip here. Harrison Butker uh, talking about uh, – the process of getting ready to, to hit one of those game winning kicks just like he did last sunday against the cincinnati Bengals. I, I try to treat every kick like a big kick so whether it's the warm up kick in the first quarter or the game winning kick hopefully they're mentally treated all the same and i think that gives me the best opportunity to succeed wow what a great
0: clip that's, that's really great
1: <sighs> Harrison Bucker there um, but i mean just one of the many great answers um... that we got throughout the night at that uh, media event also talked to um, Orlando Brown uh, Creed Humphrey Nick Bolton on the Chiefs and we'll, we'll roll one more clip here in this one actually of Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. this is a perfect clip for for some of you Bills fans I know still probably a little bit bitter about that defeat to the Bengals a couple of weeks ago but uh, Bieniemy just talked about that mutual aspect though that uh, you know the Chiefs have with you know the bills and then of course the Bengals. you know three very talented offenses so here's that clip from Eric Enemy. huge respect I mean hell first of all Josh Allen Sean McDermott is his coach Les Frazier I know those two guys those are two close personal friends they've done a great job of, of building that program building that organization and there's a huge respect and then hell watching what that's taking place in Cincinnati I played for the Bengals, so (laughs) I have the utmost respect for ownership. I think the head coach has done an outstanding job since he's been there. Joe Burrow, and just think about the number of players that they have. So you can't help but have respect for those two teams. Thank you. So three great sound bites there, all actually from the Chiefs there um, in that uh, Super Bowl event. It just kind of felt like the Chiefs were, well, really all the players were were very accessible, but just for whatever reason, it just kind of felt like we're just getting like better answers from the Chiefs, and um, also, I mean they're certainly media trained. This is their third Super Bowl in fifth year in five years, but um, you know they gave good answers, thoughtful answers, but like they're also like really funny too and quotable.
0: Also, with the Eagles, it, the Chiefs had a lot more players that I felt like were more easily available. With the Eagles, every podium felt like it was swarmed. With the Chiefs, it was really concentrated on Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey. And some of the other podiums they had were not as concentrated, so that kind of expedited the process of getting to the front, getting to ask your question with a lot of the Chiefs players.
1: I do think, though, for the Eagles, I think the probably the most crowded podium all night though was Jalen Hurts. I was a little surprised oh, by, by, far. by that. Like I figured it'd, it'd be like Mahomes or Kelsey. And don't get me wrong. Like they were they were very crowded, but. I think unarguably the most crowded one was Jalen Hurts. I mean, like, it was probably 10, 10 people deep. Like, you couldn't, it was impossible to get up there. And he ask was a question.
0: probably the only podium where a large chunk of the people in front of it set up shop at the beginning of the hour and just did not move from in front of his podium. Most, most people there would go to one podium, ask a question, go to another podium, ask a question, kind of move around. People set up shop in front of Jalen Hurts' podium and just sat there for an hour.
1: Yeah, like it, it. was pretty crazy. I mean, he is definitely uh, a big storyline in this game. Of course, a young quarterback making it here uh, to the Super Bowl—a guy that you know has had certainly had some big games this year, but has not always been just that dominant factor, that dominant force uh, all season long. Kind of like Patrick Mahomes, you know, a guy who's uh, I think at this point unarguably the best quarterback in the league. But definitely very interesting. Um, you know, a really awesome experience being part of that. You know, media night. Um, there for a couple of hours, um, had a nice dinner, thanks to the NFL. Um, oh, so my
0: great dinner. <laughs> I almost went back for thirds, but then, you know, we ran out of time. Station manager Steven was kind of shaming me a little bit.
1: <laughs> but and he's shak- shaking his head over there. But <laughs> Well, we'll get him on later, and you can share his side. <laughs> but um, very, very fun day overall, uh, and that just kind of leads us here into today. You know, we got back to the hotel late last night um went to bed worked on some clips but um now we're back here at the convention center ready for day number two and real
0: quick make sure you're following us on social media to see all of those clips i know we shared a couple of the sound bites we got but all six of us that are here follow the station Keep up to date on everything,
1: and we'll be working on releasing those clips throughout the week too. We're not going to all release them, you know, today and everything. There's, um, you know, between now and Sunday, we'll space them out on social media. Um, you'll you'll see some new stuff here, most likely every single day. So be sure to keep an eye on that. Obviously, you heard those those couple sound bites here in our in our show, but uh, definitely a lot more to it than just those three. So we will take a break here on the director's cut. When we come back, we are going to compare these two offenses, the Chiefs offense and the Eagles offense. Two great offenses, but they are very, very different. Looking forward to taking a deeper dive into that. You're listening to The Director's Cut here, WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz.
0: <laughs> Building a house is not easy. How's that ukulele treating you?
1: Hello, Steven.
0: Oh, hey. Great job, there. I'm picking it up so fast, I'm running out of things to teach him. Steven, you want to play them the song you wrote? Um, come on, you wrote it for them. Seriously, he's really excited to live with you guys. It's, it's all he talks about. Don't you want them to hear it? 88.3 The Buzz. When you go through a lot of stuff, you know, that doesn't go your way in life, you know, it's easy to be like, okay, I'm done, I'm quitting, whatever. Um, but, you know, I got the dog in me. I got that fight in me. So- 88.3 The Buzz.
1: Welcome back to the Director's Cut here on WSBU 88.3 FM The Buzz. You just kind of heard some of our initial thoughts here uh, about media day last night and day number one here on Radio Row. Johnny's first ever day on Radio <laughs> Row, that is. But now we're going to just keep bringing it up what's wrong with that I mean, nothing I mean, wrong with it you know there's nothing just wrong with it man I'm just
0: establishing the pecking order a little bit i see i see <laughs> nope but the, the conspiracy
1: okay um <laughs> we're gonna switch gears a little bit though we are gonna go into this super bowl game itself we did a little bit of an overview of it yesterday kind of in that first segment of the show just looking at you know some of the biggest storylines of the game but we're going to focus now on the offensive end. And, Johnny, both of these teams have phenomenal offenses, but they're just so different.
0: Phenomenal offenses in two very different styles, two very different philosophies. The Chiefs are probably the most pass-dominant team in the league, or one of, and the Eagles are probably the most run-dominant team in the league, or one of the most run-dominant teams. So... This comes back to what I said in my Super Bowl pick when I picked the Eagles. If they play their game and the game goes according to their script where they just run the ball, keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline, don't have to throw more than maybe 25 times, this game probably goes in the Eagles' favor. Now, if we get into a shootout, if Patrick Mahomes throws for 350 yards and now Jalen Hurts has to maybe come from behind and put the ball in the air 25, 30, 35 times that leans heavily in Kansas City's favor, in my opinion.
1: No, I I totally agree with that, but I think we've we definitely seen games, though, this year where Jalen Hurts can throw the ball. I mean, he certainly has had a pretty good passing season, but at the same time, though, he just hasn't had to get asked to do a whole lot. I mean, 3,700 yards, 22 touchdowns, just six interceptions, so honestly... Those are pretty good numbers, but, I mean, you look at just the completions and, you know, completed passes, or total passes as well. I mean, just both significantly lower compared to Holmes, but, um, again, I don't, th- I don't necessarily think that's just a dig against them. I think that's just more because, including himself, they have four guys that can really run the ball very, very well.
0: And the other thing is Jalen Hurts throws the ball well, but Patrick Mahomes is one of one. He throws the ball better than anybody, maybe even anybody we've ever seen. So it's not a dig on Jalen Hurst to say that if we get in a shootout, Patrick Mahomes has the advantage.
1: No, absolutely not. I mean, obviously, you know, Miles Sanders is probably their leading rusher, um, you know, well over 1,000 yards. Um, You know, that's the biggest target on the offensive end. Obviously, you know, you you got guys like Boston Scott as well. Kenneth Um, Gainwell. Kenneth Gainwell. And then, of course, um, you know, Hurts can get it done. On the ground as well, he can he can run and, and, and get first downs and, and, and be pretty sneaky in that front, too. So that's a pretty pretty tough four-headed approach or a four-headed attack, if you will, for the Philadelphia Eagles. But, I mean, the, the receiving core is certainly no slouch either. Yeah. A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith and those two together have been phenomenal and I I think a lot of people may have looked down on that duo to start this season but they've really lived up to expectations.
0: The talent the more we talk about it the amount of talent on the Eagles offense is insane they have the best offensive line in the league you go across it's all pro bowl level or above starters. Jalen Hurts could have been the MVP of the league this year if he didn't get hurt. A.J. Brown arguably a top five wide receiver in the NFL. Devonta Smith probably a top five wide receiver two in the league and then At running back, Miles Sanders is a thousand-yard rusher. Just everywhere you look, they can attack you so many different ways. It's just, it's so tight in this game. Both of these offenses are so great, so
1: great. Yeah, like definitely a lot less. uh, The Eagles' offense is is a lot less flashy. Like I think that's the best way to kind of. um, But
0: then at the same time, they have flashy players like AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. It's like their identity could be anything. It's just whether or not the situation demands it.
1: Absolutely. So just looking at some of the individuals here on this Eagles roster, of course, you mentioned that offensive line. You know, led by Jason Kelsey, they're at that center position, one of the best in the business. But um, Jordan Malaysia, Landon Dickerson, Isaac Samalu, Lane Johnson, all great. Uh, excuse me, all great line. Lineman and uh, also plenty of other guys as well. Um, you know, Jack Driscoll, Andre Dillard, I believe you talked to Andre Dillard yes. um, you know, last night as well. So, uh, he very is taking the over on the Super Bowl national anthem over under two minutes. Very smart. It doesn't matter what it is, Johnny. Life is too short. Too, you always must bet the over. <laughs> but. Um, No, just very, very talented team, top to bottom. Of course, Uh, they've got a very good tight end as well in Dallas Goddard. We didn't even really throw him in that conversation yet, but um, definitely one of the better tight ends in the league. So um, he'll certainly have an impact on this game as well. But now for the Chiefs, right? We kind of talked a little bit about the Eagles, but the Chiefs, um, a little, they have more star power. A couple players, of course, that can uh, that are the best in the league at their position. Uh, You know, number one, Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. Number two. Travis Kelsey, the other Kelsey, at the tight end position.
0: You know, we call him the other Kelsey, and some people might say he's the Kelsey. But it, if for every weapon that we talking about Philadelphia have – Has Kansas City has just as much firepower, but it's not because they have the same level of talent across the board. You know, they have the worst O-line. They probably arguably have the worst receiving core. Throw Travis Kelsey in there, that kind of brings them up a little bit. But across the board, they probably have a lower level of talent at receiver, lower level of talent offensive line, lower level of talent at running back. And yet, somehow, they're probably the more prolific offense out of the two. It's just a credit to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Andy Reid is maybe the the smartest man, you know, the smartest head coach in football. Obviously, designing um, a lot of those plays that, uh, that that are run in in most of those games. It seems like he has something new up his sleeve every single day, every single game. It's very impressive to watch. There, of course, have to give credit to Eric Bienemmy as well. Um, but uh, you know that they're 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 going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, they're always a lot of fun to watch and. I'm trying to pull up this roster and some stats here but this Wi-Fi is unfortunately not cooperating. It feels like we're up in the station again.
0: Phoenix has been great. Yesterday the Wi-Fi was passable. Today it's probably the the first time something's really gone annoying here. We'll say annoying.
1: Yeah, we're trying to we're struggling a little bit here. We're trying to get this uh um get this this roster up for we here we go. Um but I mean, l- let's let's look at the running back position. Um for the Kansas City Chiefs. They, they do have a couple guys that can run the ball, though. Um, Isaiah Pacheco, Jarek McKinnon, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, which it looks like he, he, you know, he's, he's been healthy the last couple of weeks.
0: He's really fallen out of the rotation, though. As someone who owned Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in fantasy this season, must say, as the year went on, his startability went out
1: the window. But, I mean, they, they kind of have three guys right there that that can step up on the on the running front, but they just don't run the ball as much. I mean, obviously, I think... I don't know the exact number, but it feels like 90% of their play calls are at least designed pass plays. You know, Patrick Mahomes might turn it into a run, but um, they certainly do have that dimension there, but it's certainly not utilized as often as the Eagles utilize it. And
0: Pacheco is a guy who really came on at the end of the season was playing very well, had some great games for them, and that's an element to their offense they're probably going to need against this Eagles team because to keep pace, I mean, it's, we've seen the Chiefs go cold in the passing game in big moments each of the last couple years. I mean, just last game against Cincinnati, that game was locked 20-20 to for most of the fourth quarter. Both of those teams got multiple possessions, and Patrick Holmes could not figure out how to get the ball in the end zone. So if you go through one of those dry spells again against this Philadelphia team, Philadelphia team we've seen capitalize on those dry spells against teams like the Giants, against teams like the Niners, you're going to have to be able to find offense somewhere else. And that could be Isaiah Pacheco.
1: Now, looking at, at this receiving core, really, you know, the Chiefs obviously have their number one. It's not a wide receiver. it's Travis Kelsey at the tight end position. But in the wide receiver front specifically, it feels like someone different every single game kind of steps up and and, and, and takes charge. I mean, in that AFC Championship game, it was Marquez Valdez-Scantling. But sometimes it's Juju. Sometimes it's Kadarius Toney, who's really come on, you know, ever since he's been with the Chiefs. I mean, he was... Really, a nothing with the New York yeah. Giants, and he's been great with, with the Chiefs. Um, you know, McCole Hardman, he's, he's usually a factor, but he's listed on IR, so it does not look like he'll play on Sunday, so that's certainly a loss. But um, also, a guy like Justin Watson, he can make an impact there. So, who can maybe, who do you see maybe out of the names that I listed out of that receiving core um, that could really step up on Sunday and make an impact for, for the Chiefs? Could it be Valdez Scantling again? Could he ride that, that positive momentum he's had so far in this, in this playoff run?
0: Well, I mean, all season. You couldn't predict who it was going to be going into any game. So we can try to predict who it going to be. It could be anybody, and that's because of the play calling of Andy Reid. I'll go with the guy who's on the poster over there, Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't know if we've talked about this poster yet. We have talked about it. Well, let's talk about it again. Okay. (laughs) It goes Jason Kelsey, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Juju Smith-Schuster. So if Juju Smith-Schuster does not show up this Sunday and have a great game, I'm gonna be disappointed. I mean, I don't know what to say. They're not gonna reprint the posters, but
1: it fires you up, though, which is kind of. It does fire me up. I mean, you've you mentioned it quite a few times. Since we've we've been out here. We've not. We've only been in Phoenix for like 36 hours. If you only got two spots on the
0: poster, it has to be Travis Kelsey, right? Yeah, it I mean, has to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. I don't. I don't really get it either. But so we kind of looked at those at the the impact players in terms of who's gonna get the ball. But now. That offensive line. I mean, the Chiefs also have a very good offensive line. I think that's really the one similarity, though, between those two squads. But who do you think might have an advantage there? Because both teams are very gifted there.
0: Yeah, and both teams are very gifted on the O-line and on the D-line. Because when we're talking about the Chiefs' offensive line, they have to line up against Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. Every snap. Those are two can get to the quarterback, can stuff the run. And then you look at the Eagles' offensive line, they have to go against Frank Clark who's third all-time in playoff sacks, I don't know if you know that, and Chris Jones on every snap, who can both rush the quarterback and stop the run. So the point of attack in this game, we talk about the Chiefs throwing the ball around, but weaning at the line of scrimmage is going to be paramount for them to have success.
1: Yeah, I agree there. So, um, again, that's that's really the one constant, but now you know, kind of just comparing the two teams as a whole again. Um, you know, we, we really broke down each group of positions. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go back. We did the offensive line, essentially, together, but um, now kind of going back to the wide receiving groups. I mean, who do you think has the advantage there? Because this is kind of the same thing where they're both, both groups are very talented, but they're also very different.
0: Yes, and it's really do you give more weight to Kelsey or do you give more weight to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith together? That's really the equation we're juggling here. And because of the quarterback situation, I think you have
1: to give Kelsey the edge because the Eagles just don't throw the ball as much. That's what I think too. And I think also play calling has something to do with that. And I don't think that's anything against the Eagles coaching staff and, and Nick Sirianni. I, I just think that's more because um, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are just two offensive geniuses and just kind of goes back to them thinking of new things to, to drop really every single game. So I think that combination with travis kelsey and then the question of all right which one of these you know three or four wide receivers is going to step up today i think that makes that that receiving core a lot more lethal but so i, I think we so we're in agreement there in terms of wide receivers and, and, and the receiving core now i think i know the answer here but i mean it, it's got to be the eagles that have the, the advantage on the run game putting you know the of, of course the line together with the weapons
0: yes it- 1,000%, the Eagles are going to come into this game saying, we're going to pound this ball down the Chiefs' throat. We're just going to turn around, hand it off, maybe you have Jalen Hurts run on a scramble here or there. But the Eagles are going to look to run early. They're going to look to run often. And if the run isn't working early or often, they're just going to keep running it until it does. I, it's the game plan. It's the way that they can win this game. So, but it also allows Kansas City to key in on if we can stop the run we give our offense a very good chance to put this game out of reach, so that'll be an interesting storyline to watch.
1: And just an interesting observation here: you know, we talk about a lot of these teams that have, you know, one talented running back in particular. But most of those teams, too. Most of the teams do, excuse me, but. These two teams, though, they don't really just have one guy. Yeah, they really by have committee. It's by yeah, it's by committee. You mm-hmm. know, they have they have three guys that can step up. Maybe each get fifteen snaps a game or something, but they're all going to be very effective. So, um, you know, you talk about you look at like the Chargers, of course. You know, they have somebody like Austin Eckler, and you look at the Bengals, they have somebody like Joe Mixon, McCaffrey, but McCaffrey exactly. But it's it's the it's the by committee process or idea that's gotten both of these teams to the Super Bowl. So, very interesting little tidbit there. So now I'm putting. Everything together, all these pieces together. I know we're in agreement about the quarterback, so I won't even go there. Patrick Mahomes, of course, is the (laughs) best quarterback in the league. But in the end, who has the offensive advantage piecing everything together? I'm not saying give your Super Bowl pick. I mean, I know who your pick is, but who do you think has the advantage on the offensive end?
0: Am I really about to pick against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid when it comes to offense? I can't believe I'm going to say this, but yes. The Eagles have the advantage, and I think it just comes down to the fact that we've seen the Chiefs go through dry spells recently, and we've seen the Eagles look absolutely dominant in the run game, and being able to control the clock and run the ball is how you beat the Chiefs. I know it seems like we're saying it over and over again, but it's the truth. There's no way around it.
1: I'm going to lean Chiefs. I think that the Chiefs have... The advantage just about everywhere except the run game. I think the, the run game is obviously a stark difference And there. I think
0: the Chiefs are probably the smart pick, to be yeah, honest Yeah, no,
1: but I mean, I think just w- plus when you add in coaching too, I, I think the Chiefs probably, they're certainly flashier, uh, but the Eagles though, I mean, they've, they've gone against different competition all year. Uh, obviously the NFC has been the weaker conference. So I'm. I'm gonna lean Chiefs. I don't think the weaker conference really has a whole lot of weight into that. But um, I think Chiefs definitely have an offensive advantage here. Um, just just seeing what Patrick Mahomes can do, and hey, he's experienced too. This is his third Super Bowl. Um, Jalen Hurts is first. I mean, not saying that he will, but there's a good chance that maybe Hurts can be a little bit rattled. That that offense, you know, not not as many guys on that team compared to were, were on that team compared to the that on the 2018 team or the
0: mm-hmm.
1: was 18. Uh, we went over this before, 17, 17 or 18 teams that made the Super Bowl compared to the Chiefs when they made the Super Bowl last just a couple of years ago. So I think that the experience from Mahomes, too, he'll, he'll be able to get settled a lot quicker. Um, it, m- it might take a, a quarter for, for the Eagles to, to really get settled, but at, at that point, though, there's a chance the Chiefs could have maybe a 10-point uh, you know, leader. So they, could, they could be up 10 nothing, or they mm-hmm. could be up 10-3 or 7 nothing, or, or something along those lines. And so the
0: experience thing is in a storyline we've talked about a lot, but... This feels like a very different Eagles team than the one that won the Super Bowl four or five years ago. Now, there's a lot of
1: returning players. There's there's quite a handful. There's definitely some, but I don't think as many though from the Chiefs. Yeah. Again, compared to when they last made it a couple years ago. But we will certainly have to see a lot of offensive storylines for both squads. And excited to unpack it more as we progress through this week. So we are going to take a break here on the Director's Cut. When we come back, more to come from Radio Row. Um, we'll get to the defenses here tomorrow on the Director's Cut. But a lot more NFL and other sports content coming up next here on the Director's Cut. You're listening to WSBU eighty-eight point three FM, the Buzz. The Bonaventure, established in nineteen twenty-six, is a weekly print and digital publication. Check out our website at www. TheBVnewspaper.com or pick us up on campus and locally to keep track of the latest Bonaventure news, including sports, features, and opinion sections. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the BV Newspaper to stay informed on day-to-day life. Jim's Parking Shop is a family-owned grocery store with all of your everyday needs and more. Jim's Park & Shop has an array of unique items, including Jim's Picks, which includes products that you can't find anywhere else in the Olean area. If you haven't tried them out already, one of their two-foot subs is a popular hit. You can check out some of their selection and get deli delivery to your door online at jimsparkandshop.com, or visit the store on Front Street near Olean General Hospital. Merging with Simulator in three, two, one. The Buzz. Welcome back to the Director's Cut, WSBU, 88.3 FM, The Buzz. Nathan Solomon, Johnny Walker. We are halfway home here on this Tuesday evening. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. We are going to go from NFL back to Olean and take a look at these St. Montaventure bodies because, Johnny, they are rolling right now. They have won three in a row. Arguably, their toughest stretch all season long and they go perfect in it. Like, I, if you told me that, you know, before last Saturday or before they played VCU 10 days ago, I'd say you're crazy.
0: They've gone from possibly having to play in the pillow fight if this little three-game stretch didn't go well for them to now they're in double-by territory. It's absolutely insane. And it's, again, a Mark Schmidt team down the stretch of the season, outperforming expectations and really hitting their stride
1: at the right time, Nate. Um, you know, yeah, totally. And I don't like I, it. Just feels like out of nowhere. Like, and I've said this so many times before that I think this St. Bonaventure squad on the road. I think it was a mental thing more than anything else. You know, they lost their first seven on the road. They, you know, they they won a neutral site game against Notre Dame, but mm-hmm. had otherwise not won anything away from the Riley Center. But then they go down to VCU, playing the hottest team in the league. I mean, they, they had just beaten Dayton at Dayton, and that's tough to do. I mean. UD Arena is an incredibly difficult place to go out and win a game at, right? And they went up there and, and they beat they beat Dayton, and they won like six in a row. But Bonaventure not obviously not faced by that. They go down there, you know, play a, a complete game and get that first road win. And, and when you beat a team like that on the road, you know, regardless of the, of the circumstances, it's a huge confidence booster. But to beat to beat the best team in the league, I think that that just gave them that extra jolt. You you know, you saw that at at Richmond, too, a couple days later, Um, you know, played really well there. Um, Probably not as well as they played at VCU, but they certainly played well enough to win the game, and and they did. Um, Another big game from Jan Farrell there, but, um, you know, and then then they come home against Dayton, obviously. You know, I think everybody knew that it was going to be a fantastic environment uh, and it, it was just rocket, man, like just, you know, seeing a sold-out crowd like that, uh, everybody dressed in white, it was just a super fun atmosphere to be a part of, and, and once again, St. Montaventure played maybe their best game all year. I mean, I can't really pick out anything from that game that really stood out. It was like, man, they didn't, they didn't do this well because they really did everything well. They defended well, they made timely shots, they got rebounds. I mean, it was just a complete team effort.
0: You know what the biggest surprise for me on this three-game stretch is? I thought in order for them to have any chance of winning these three games, Daryl Banks was going to have to play out of his exactly. mind. Yeah. And you know what he did on the road trip in, in tr- Richmond? Two games, shot a combined, one for 13 with 13 points from the field.
1: And he wasn't great on Saturday either. He wasn't great on Saturday either. He
0: has not been hitting shots. I don't know what it is. He's just off.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he did hit a big three on Saturday. But uh, outside I, of that, he couldn't Yeah. Hit. Couldn't buy a bucket. That was his only field goal. And, mm-hmm. and again, in all three games, he, I mean, I'll give him credit, though. He, he has made some clutch free throws mm-hmm. uh, and has gotten his points in the free throw line. And just that's just the aggressiveness. But honestly, in those three games, either, like sometimes when we, when we have a couple, uh, when we see a couple bad Daryl Banks shooting nights in a row, it's because he's forcing shots. And honestly, I don't think he's really forced much in, in these last couple of games. They're just not really going in. And. With shooters, I guess it happens. I mean, like, uh, uh, kind of conversely, Jan Farrell is on fire right now. Mm-hmm. Like, he's scalding hot. Like, he's like 5 of 7 from 3 every single game. Uh, A 10 Rookie of the Week for the fourth time this year. Um so, I mean, Jan's been, been a huge reason why St. Bonaventure's been able to win those three games, and he stepped up uh, from Daryl Banks, but, um, you know, he, he's just a little bit off. I mean, obviously, Wednesday against LaSalle is a great opportunity for him to kind of get back on that right track, but, um, you know, fortunately for St. Bonaventure, they've had Jan Farrell, they've had Chad Venning to really step up and, uh, and, and hit some big shots and, and get some timely points.
0: And those two guys, Jan Farrell, Chad Venning, are really filling into their roles nicely down the stretch here. I mean, really... Chad Venning going against Deron Holmes, against Dayton, the best player in the conference. I mean, Chad Venning
1: didn't look out of place. No, I mean, Chad, he was 8 of 9 for the field on on Saturday. I mean, it was very impressive. Uh, I have it right in front of me. 9 of 8, excuse me, 8 of 9 from the field. 8 of 9 from the field, 17 points, 8 rebounds. I mean, just a really, really well-rounded, great, well-rounded performance. Uh, Had a couple blocks, too. I mean, big blocks. Got the energy in the crowd. Uh, all ramped up uh, a couple of big dunks as well Um, he was he was fantastic and you know also his presence down low also helped you know Dayton get into foul trouble I mean Amsil and Kamara both had four fouls Uh both had two in the first half so they really got limited down the stretch in 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 that game in terms of of what their aggressiveness was like obviously when you're playing with four fouls and, and for so long you can't be as aggressive right like you can't you yep. can't go out and, and try to block every shot or uh, or try to take a charge or something. I mean, you're, you're forced to kind of uh, lay back a little bit. And um, and if it's, if it's like a 50-50 type situation, it's like, all right, maybe I kind of got to pull back here. I can't really try to go in for the steal or this blocker or, or, or try to make this big play in fear that, okay, I'm going to foul out and my team's going to miss my offensive production. So um, kind of just finding that, that fine line. And, and because they played so much of the second half with four fouls, both of them, um, Bonaventure capitalized it it down the stretch, as well as the missing time in the first half while, while on the bench with the two.
0: And as a coach, what do you tell your guys when they're going into the game with four fouls? Do you tell them, hey, maybe take a step back? Because then putting that in a guy's head, they're not the same player. Yeah. And if you're not going to be playing 100%, why are you out there? Like, I, I realize you don't want to foul out, but are you hurting your team more by being in and not playing at full aggression?
1: Well, I don't think they go out and say, okay, you have to um, like I don't think they say those exact words. Like you know, just, like take it back a little bit. I think they just have to say, um, just don't like essentially don't do anything stupid. Like it's I guess easier said than done, right? But um, I think they just tell them, like just just be smart. Like I mean, like there's no other way you can can approach it, right? Like you, you can't tell them to play less hard. You just have to say just just be smarter, make the smarter plays. Like like it, it it's tough because if you tell them not play as hard, then yeah, like you're right exactly. Like they'll take plays off, you know, necessarily, right? But it it's a fine line if you're a coach. And, and obviously finding the right times to put those players in, you know, make the decision, okay, maybe he has four fouls. Let's put him back in with, you know, 12 minutes left versus, okay, let's maybe wait till we get to the under-8 timeout or, you know, five minutes to go or, or something along those lines. So certainly a lot of tough coaching decisions. Obviously when you're trailing, there's more urgency to get your guys back in, and that's what they had to do. They had to play a lot of that second half. Like there's no there's no choice but to play them. They were down 10, 12 points really that entire second half. Uh, so Anthony Grant really had to play both of them to, to, to hope they can uh, get going at least on the perimeter and, and start making shots and, and get Dayton back in the game.
0: Now looking forward. Bonaventure currently the three seed, double by territory.
1: Are we going to hang on to that spot? Ah, I mean, it's tough. I think they can, for sure. Definitely. I mean, they've got some winnable games coming up, like, 100%. I mean, LaSalle, they have to win Wednesday. Is LaSalle
0: I mean, the most forgettable team in this conference?
1: Um, they're up there. They're, they're, they're definitely up there. Um, I mean, if St. Louis and... Um, and Dayton weren't so good they'd be forgettable just with how far west they are. And same as, well, Loyal Chicago not very good this year, but uh, everybody kind of forgets they're in the conference now. But um, they will got to beat LaSalle. And then they're at Duquesne Saturday, and that's not going to be an easy game at all. Duquesne's a good team. They obviously they, they dug a, a huge hole um, on the road against us uh, a few weeks ago when they came to the Riley Center. I think they went down 21-3. So, you know, I obviously expect them to start, you know, significantly better in that game. So if, if Bonaventure lost that game, that wouldn't surprise me. I, I'd be shocked if they lost Wednesday, for sure. Um, but they have that, and you know they have St. Joe's still, and they have GW, and they have a game at Fordham. So uh, a game at Davidson, and Davidson's really having a down year. So a lot of winnable games mm-hmm. down the stretch. I think it's certainly in the cards, and I, I think that there's a very good chance that they, they might not get the double buy. But they will at least be in the mix for it, probably until that final game of the season when they go on the road at UMass. And that'll be a, a, a winnable game for them and a game that they will absolutely have to capitalize on.
0: Now, do you think this is the same team that, you know, lost to Loyola Chicago, lost to, I believe it was Canisius earlier in the year? Or do you think yeah. that's a different version of this team and they would not? Repeat those pitfalls. I
1: think it's completely different because, again, I think it was a mental thing. You know, I think you know the Canisius. Obviously, that was only the second game of the year. They're still learning how to play with each other. Rivalry game. It's it's a tough game to win. Um, But as they kept going on and on, and kept going on the road more, and and started to not win those games, I think they started to kind of tell themselves, either consciously or subconsciously, you know, we can't win on the road. And I I think that affected them. I really do. And I don't know what changed for them to go out and win those games at VCU and Richmond, but I think. Those two games just created, essentially, a, a blank slate for them, a- and now they don't have that looming over their heads, and they're not thinking about that anymore. They can think, hey, we've won our last two on the road. You know, we know how to play on the road now. We know how to play together. So, 100%. I think they're a much different team than they were in November. Like, I think if they played Canisius right now, they'd probably beat the, beat Canisius by 20-25 points, at least. So, um M- much different. Like, I think they're they're a dangerous team for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at this, you know, you, I think you brought it up last week, but, I mean, you look at uh, the St. Bonaventure squad a couple of years ago, four years ago, when Kyle Lofton, Dom Welch, um, Oshun Oshuni were, were all freshmen. They went on a run similar to this around this time, and they were under 500 when they started that run. But they put themselves um, in a better spot in the A-10, and I don't, I don't think Think they didn't get the double bye? I don't think. No, they did get a double bye. Actually, they got the four seed that year. Uh, but and they put themselves in a position where they could go out and um, you know contend for the eight ten 10 championship. And they were a made three pointer away from by Nelson Caputo from making the big dance. So anything is certainly possible. But yes, that's a long, very long-winded answer to it. But yes, I think a top four seed is well within the realm of possibilities right now.
0: Now, if Daryl Banks continues to struggle. What is his role on this team going forward? Do you keep letting him shoot until he figures it out? Or at some point, if we go from three off games to maybe four, five, six, seven off games in a row, what is his role? Because we saw him become a little bit more of a facilitator, had some good court vision against Dayton. On the defensive end, he's not a plus.
1: Yeah, mm, I think he is. I think he's a pretty good defender, personally. Um,
0: but I've seen him get blown by one too many times on the perimeter.
1: I think that... I mean, he, it's not that it's not that they're not going to start him. Like he, he's going yeah. to always be in the starting lineup. I think that they could maybe, maybe slide him down to the three a little bit more, because and, and move Moses up to the two as long as he has the hot hand. I mean, they're certainly not moving Kyrell away from the one. Mm-hmm. So they could maybe switch those two if he doesn't figure it out. I personally think he will figure it out. They brought him in knowing that he was, you know, probably going to be the best player on this team, and for most of the season he has done that. So. I think they they might just kind of swap those two roles a little bit. Maybe give Moses a few more shots, a few more touches with the ball, and, and then you know let Daryl kind of go off the ball a little bit more and see if he can just get some you know get a handful of open catch and shoot opportunities or or, or you know go to the corners and try to you know draw a foul on a back cut or something or get an easy two that way. So um, that's how I could see them, that role changing a little bit, uh, maybe just a, a little bit of a swap. Uh, to an extent but I can't see them you know changing a whole lot more I mean Mark Schmidt he develops a system at the beginning of the year and really sticks with it the whole year so that's that's really the key so that'll really do it here for this St. Bonaventure segment Um, of course they play LaSalle on Wednesday that game will be at about that game will be at 7 p.m. Eastern time, so that's actually 5 p.m. out here for us. But, um, again, an important game for St. Bonaventure. They, wanna, they control their own destiny, essentially. They are yep. now in the top four. To t- remain in the top four. They have to keep winning games. Uh, they get the tiebreakers right now. So very, every game, very important for the Bodies. We'll take a break here. When we come back, you'll hear the rest of the director's cut before sending off to Sipe and Smitty Day 2 here at Radio Row. Listening to the director's cut, WSBU 88.3 FM, the Buzz.
0: Well, I've gotten the results back. He's
1: deaf. This is horrible. This must be because of all that loud, blaring music he's been playing in those nightclubs. What's going on? Can he fix it in time for me to DJ at the music festival? No. What? No. What? Are you sure? Yes. What? <laughs> Have a good life. The Buzz. Back here on the Director's Cut, live from Super Bowl 57 Radio Row. Nathan Solomon, Johnny Walker here in these final 10-15 minutes of day number two, of course, following this show. we Day number two of the return of Sipin Smitty followed by the wild card. Those shows will be happening at 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock respectively. So be on the lookout in Keep tuning in for those. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately, no guests here on the program today. Super excited, though, for tomorrow. We've got a nice guest lineup planned out here for these next couple days. Not going to give away any spoilers, but we are definitely looking forward to it. So, in this last segment here, you know, obviously this game is still five days away, but it's never too early to look at some of the prop bets. For this game, there are some, you know, some some of the typical ones that you might see for any NFL game. But then there's also some uh, wild, you know, special Super Bowl type, you know, picks that, that you can do uh, straight from the books. So, uh, Mr. Walker has some of these, um, you know, interesting um, bets that you could potentially place on the game or a team. Uh, and we're gonna we're just gonna go through them and, and give us give give our two cents about what we think will happen.
0: All right. The first one is also a classic one. The color of the Gatorade poured on the winning coach.
1: I'm going to go with, um, it might be the wrong flavor, but like, is it, is it the cool blue, like the light blue?
0: It just goes, no, no flavors, it just goes by color. Just color. So, so then the light blue. Because I think I think that would just fall under the blue category.
1: Well, there's there's two blues though. There's like the regular blue, like the dark
0: blue, and then the, like the light blue. Yeah, but this only it just lists blue. It does. Oh, do you have a list. Yeah, blue is plus four hundred. Oh, man. okay. So then, I'll, yeah, then I'll just go blue then. Okay, so here are the odds in order listed on, I believe this uh, this is on Fanduel. Okay. Orange plus three fifty is the betting favorite. Yellow green plus four hundred. I don't know about that. I feel like yellow green is too high too high too high i i like orange blue red i feel like those are the more common ones like
1: do you think they would do it though like in like in terms of picking it like the all well, of course it's going to be like the, the the most tasty right because that's what's going to be in the in the cooler for the players to i make. guess
0: that's the question who decides what flavor Gatorade goes in the Gatorade cooler i think the team has to the team decides somehow it must be the, just an equipment manager picks his favorite, or do they just go by what the players want? Do they
1: take a vote? I bet. I bet there's like some sort of vote or like team decision, or like, or maybe there's a couple different flavors and like the one that like gets poured on the coach is just kind of random. Of yeah, like, maybe the they have like all the flavors lined up. I know. So there's a lot of well, there's a lot of moving parts
0: here. This is very complicated.
1: I am gonna go with blue though because, well, personally, I know light blue is not listed as an option. Light blue is probably my favorite Gatorade. I, I like it a lot. Um, but dark blue or regular blue is also very good, too. Uh, I'm going to go with that. So, that according to the odds,
0: that's a pretty good pick. It's tied for the second highest odds. Because you never want to pick the favorite. You it's never, never want to pick the It's favorite. never the number one favorite. It, it's not going to be orange. It's just not going to be. It, it will never work out that way.
1: I think it's going to be blue or lemon-lime. See, I'm not hot.
0: Hi- our former sports director over here will be on next, Tyler. Tyler. Big yellow Gatorade guy. Now you're going with lemon lime, man. I do. Oh I wait, I, wait.
1: I thought that's what it was. Lemon lime.
0: Yeah. So like yellow. That's my man. Yellow green. This lumps yellow green. Same category. Oh, okay.
1: Who is picking the yellow green Gatorade? If it was, if it was like the one that like that, like the yellow Gatorade. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's probably my number two favorite behind the light. Really. Beam. So I, I, that'd be my number two personally. Yes. All right. I'm not a red Gatorade fan. I can tell you that.
0: Really? I, mean, I, I will
1: drink it, but I'm not a berry That's a fi- hot take. Steven doesn't like that either. That so. is a hot take. I don't know. I, red, I've i just never been a red a red Gatorade guy.
0: Disappointing. So I guess I should make my pick. So you officially went with yellow green, no, not I'm, blue. No, I'm officially going with blue. You're I, officially I'm going saying, with blue. I, I think yellow green's also a good pick. Well, that's a smart pick because there's a lot of flavors that fall under the blue category. I think yellow green, there's really, l- I don't even know what the flavor is called. The main yellow one. And I don't lemon lime. And out of the main Gatorade lineup, I don't know if there is a green option. No maybe like it may a dark green. No. Station manager Stevens giving me a, a look like he wants to hop on right now. There's apple.
1: Is there apple? There is
0: apple. What? It's d- green.
1: I've never seen apple before. Yeah. I don't think.
0: There's apple. There's grape. Is it any good? Yeah. it's Okay, not bad. grape. I've, that's like in like the main. So Gatorade probably has some obscure flavors because yeah. Every drink company does that we Ooh, never yeah. heard of, but like the main lineup, me Green is a main flavor. I think so. I've seen it. I've seen it quite wow. a few times. I can't
1: say if, Like maybe if I see it up in like the media room now, I'm gonna have to like try it, try it. because I've I've never There's seen. There's no
0: it. way it's up there.
1: I've never seen it before personally. Okay. Maybe. Interesting. But what do you think? What are you going with? I'm
0: gonna. I'm going with clear. Which you is know, basically th- the water option. Like saying, saying they're gonna dump a water cooler, or is there a clear? I know there's white Gatorade. Yeah, oh, I was, it was <laughs> back on, resident Gatorade expert. I know there's white Gatorade, would that count as clear because white, at least not this list I'm looking at, white doesn't have odds.
1: I I think white would actually be kind of an underrated option. Not gonna lie.
0: Yeah. But anyways, that's my pick: clear slash water plus five hundred. Okay, that's interesting. All right, next category. I won't go with the halftime show one because I know you're not cultured when it comes to Rihanna's discography.
1: You know, I don't really watch or listen to Rihanna, so I can't really provide my two cents on that one. Um, I, I can maybe do um, the national anthem because I am a country, uh, a country fan. Anyways, a lot of people bet on
0: who will score the first touchdown. Not as many people bet on the over/under of the jersey number of the first touchdown score. It's interesting one. The line is 11 and a half. The over is plus 105. The under minus 130.
1: Really? I think I'm I'm ha- I, I'm hammering the over personally. I think I agree, but go on. I mean, a lot of the scoring options that are like above are like double figures, right? Like I mean. If if Mahomes or Jalen Hurts tucked one in and and, and and ran one in for the first touchdown of the game, like they're well, Hurts is one, but like Mahomes is well, Mahomes is uh, jeez, what's Mahomes? He's 15, right? Yeah, 15. 15. Uh, I, I I was thinking 17, but like no, that's Josh Allen. Um, Mahomes is 15, so there's an option. Um... I, I don't remember all their numbers, but, like, for the Chiefs, like, and, and probably the Eagles, too, like, they're running backs. Like, they're going to be in like, the 20s probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's, like, no jersey, like, th- there's not those rules or whatever, like, in the past, right? But I feel like like a lot of the running backs are probably be in the 20s. And then the tight ends, I mean, Travis Kelsey's a great option. I yeah. mean, he's 87. Dallas um, Goddard. He's, a, he's 89, right? Um, really interesting thing to consider here. The line
0: is 11 and a half. A.J. Brown? 11. Is he 11? He's I thought 11. he was in the 80s.
1: So that, that definitely brings it down a little bit.
0: Because that's a very strong option for first touchdown score. A lot of people will be putting money on A.J. Brown. What's
1: Devonta Smith?
0: Devonta Smith is six. He is six. So if we're got a th- throwing touchdown to Eagles wide receiver, I don't think that's likely to be the first score, though.
1: But I feel like Boston Scott's 20 something, right? Bo- Miles Sanders 26. Okay. And he has a lot of touchdowns this year. He's in double digits. I like I think Boston Scott's 20 something, like 24 maybe.
0: Pulling up the full roster right now. My number. I mean,
1: I'm I'm my mind is not changing. I'm still going with the over personally. I'm also
0: taking the over. Kenneth Gainwell is 14.
1: Yeah, that's still that's still over.
0: So, guys, for the Eagles that could score that are eleven or below, AJ Brown, mm-hmm. Devontae Smith, Zach Pascal, and Jalen Hurts. There's four. Yeah. Really, really. There's four. So,
1: if they're running the ball in, and as long as it's not a QB sneak or something, then it's gonna be. It'll be above a twelve.
0: So, if the Eagles score first, very, very good chance. That it is the over. And then on the Chiefs' side... It feels like most of those guys are above 12, right? The Chiefs' side, Jarek McKinnon wears one. Ronald Jones wears two. Juju wears nine. Pacheco wears ten. MVS wears 11.
1: Ooh, that's a little tougher than I thought. That's
0: tough, especially because the Chiefs spread the ball around so much.
1: I thought it would be above that.
0: Then you get over 11. Patty Mahomes, Kadarius Toney, Sky Moore... Clyde Edwards-Alaire. There's some names.
1: There I've, are some names. I think there's a little bit more compelling of a case for the under, but my gut still says take the over.
0: The biggest over for the Chiefs is Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, between those
1: two. And, I mean, they, they're they two, you know, huge players. I don't know. I, my, my gut still says take the over. I Again, I think there's more, of a com- more compelling case for the under now that you've listed some of those names and numbers, but I don't think it really is going to change my opinion. I think I'm still staying with the over. Just...
0: I think, now that we've gone through this, I would hammer the over. Hammer it. Yeah, it, it's the over. So we talked about this a little bit before the show. NFL score a Gami. Now, for those of you who don't know, basically every final score that has ever happened in the history of the NFL, put it on a card. Now, will this final score of this Super Bowl... Be a final score that has never happened before.
1: No. I mean, I think there's only been like two or three score gummies all year. Like, no. I mean, that'd have to be a wild, a wild Super Bowl. I don't. Yeah. The don't. odds of a unique Super
0: Bowl final score are minus six fifty. Oh, sorry. Wait, no, what? No, that's the odds. That it will not be a unique score. That it will be a score that has happened before.
1: I mean, I can take six fifty. I mean, I I take that. I mean, I can tell you this for free. I certainly wouldn't be putting money on anything minus six fifty. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I mean, there's I can't see how there's gonna be a score got me. Like both teams would have to. It have to be some absurd final score with a, like a lot of score. Like it's not like we're gonna see like a ten to eight score got me because that's already happened. Like we need like. 42 to 26 or, like, something like that, like where at least one team is in the 40s. Now, those, were, that's the,
0: those were the odds of a, it being the first time in Super Bowl history.
1: Now, the odds
0: of it being the first time in NFL history, Super Bowl, or otherwise. Sorry if I didn't make that clear at first. The odds of us having a unique score...
1: Plus 1,800. Okay, so I, I I understand the differences now. I still don't think either will have a unique score. I would have to agree. Because we're on Super
0: Bowl 57 now, which might not seem like a lot, but football scores typically go up in pretty regular intervals. Yeah. You know, there's common numbers that go together, and you just go, that's a football score.
1: Yeah, and at this point, all the, all the generic scores had been basically like done like it's it's happened before and the
0: one that's on everyone's mind the Super Bowl national anthem and we'll finish up with this one sung by Chris Stapleton this year i know you said you were a big fan i am a big, big fan.
1: fan well I, i'm a country fan i don't listen to chris stapleton very much but okay, i'm a
0: fake fan. chris stapleton <laughs> fan nathan solomon over under 119.5 seconds Ooh, I feel like that's low. Two minutes is hundred twenty seconds. I think that I feel like I feel like last year was like two ten. I feel like it always goes over. This says seven of the last ten Super Bowl anthems have gone over two minutes.
1: It's o and it it's only one one twenty is what it's listed as? Yes. One nineteen o- and a half. I think it's over. I do. Because like even if they have like a rough estimate based on like rehearsals and everything, I feel like whatever happens, like when, when the crowd's there and the TV's camera's there, you're just going to, like, get into it. Belt it out. Yep. B- belt out those vocals. You know, like, uh and the land. <laughs> like, I don't I, let's not sing on the air anymore. But Look, that
0: was all you, man. That was all you.
1: But at the end of the song, like, I feel like the words get, like, longer, you know? It's yep. like yep. the adrenaline's flowing. and They always start off hyped hot. Up.
0: People taking the under, they get through those first couple verses real quick. Real quick.
1: The nerves are still kicking in, but then you get comfy at the end. Yeah,
0: you get to the land of the, the free, home of the brave.
1: You know, the, the planes are running about 10 seconds late on the flyover. you got to slow down a little bit. <laughs> We're going over on the
0: national anthem. The over is minus 250, so is the smart play the under?
1: No. It's over. I'm telling you, it's over. <laughs> NFL has leaked the script. I have it. Chris Stapleton will be over 119. Are you going over or are you going under? Oh, oh, you have to go over on the anthem. You have to. It's like it's like the coin toss,
0: you know. Tails never fails. Tails never fails. Although, somebody at the media availability last night I forgot who it was. Asked about the to- coin toss. Goes with heads.
1: He's not a tails never fails guy. Well, I don't know what to tell him because he's wrong. But we are about out of time, though, on this a- episode of the Director's Cut. We'll take it a break, though. When we come back... It will be hour number two here from Radio Row. It will be Sype and Smitty. They will bring you to the 8 o'clock hour, followed by the wild card there, finishing up up until the 9 o'clock hour. For Johnny Walker, I'm Nathan Sullivan. We'll catch you tomorrow with it for Director's Cut at 5 p.m. an hour early because of the women's basketball game. Tips scheduled for 7 p.m. But in the meanwhile, again, stay with us here for more Radio Row coverage. We'll be back here. WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz.